be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 56 of the Dispatchist, which it is Witches with Stitches. And with me this week are my co-host Victoria. Hello. And Jamin. Hello. And I am. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Y'all are still poorly. A little bit. And I am Jacob. So I have to say that y'all lied to me last week because for dinner last night I had pierogies and they were delicious and they weren't little boats. So so Robert Goulet wasn't in one of them either? It said lamb and chicken. It didn't say lamb, chicken, and goulet. (laughs) (laughs) Some goulet dumplings? Uh That sounds like a pierogi, yeah. I'm sorry that there was no Bob... Bob Those dumplings were really good. I um, was really disappointed this morning when there weren't any left over. I put five of them away for you. Where? In a little tub. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of <laughs> this episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining in. I'm going downstairs for dinner. I, I'm sure our listeners love y'all's domestic drama as much as I do. <laughs> Fun fact, Jamin sleep eats. Oh, something, really? Some things have disappeared from my fridge. Some things have ended up in my fridge with bites taken out of them, and I don't, what? I don't, I don't know where the little dumplings are. I think you need one of those little spy cams on the no, fridge. No, please do not document this alleged behavior. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a, a Patreon for us: is watch Jamin no! sleep eat. <laughs> I regret not being awake to enjoy those. They were good. Well, I was going to bring pierogies to the party. Did anything else? anybody else bring something? <laughs> just You just brought a bite mark. I did. I brought some wassail. Uh-huh. Yay. Because I am thinking that this is probably going to come out pretty close to Twelfth Night. Yeah, I think it will actually be Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. So this is a drink commonly associated with Twelfth Night. I did not know this, but... The, the tradition associated with wassail or wassailing mm-hmm. has to do with drinking to the health of the trees. Yes, it ah, began. I didn't know that. It began mm-hmm. with wild woodland parties and getting the trees slightly drunk for prosperity for the new year. Why don't we still do that? Because trees don't drink. I would argue that they, they drink. I have a recent wassail food snob story. Yes. I made a huge kettle of wassail for a party a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. And no one, including the host, knew what wassail was. What? Which upset me a little bit because I'm a, a Christmas snob. So I found one of the other kind of literary folks at the party and I said, I'm so upset. Nobody here knows what wassail is. And he looked at me and said, That's because none of them are extras in a Dickens novel. <laughs> hey, sir, can I have some more? I'm ever so sober. <laughs> I think it's because you didn't invite the right... Well, I guess it was somebody else's party. Right, right, right. Okay. So do you know what's... Well, Jacob knows what's in Wassel, but you tell me if this is your recipe, too. So this is from the Silver Book of Cocktails by Carla Vardy. 
Uh, it's got a quart of brown ale, um, eight ounces of dry sherry, a half a cup of dark brown sugar, three apples, finely grained peel, finely grated peel of half a lemon, and half a teaspoon each of ground nutmeg, cinnamon, and ginger. Where's the cider? There's usually there's usually apple substance. I think that version I've heard of that version on Tasting History, and it involves mm. like a lot of apple sludge as well. Yeah, I think the three apples are oh, are three sludged. Apples. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. No, my version involved uh, like six gallons of you know high end apples apple juice with all the pulpy stuff in it, mm. and most a bottle of brandy and three bottles of wine and assorted spices and an orange that had an accident in a clove factory. <laughs> oh, the yeah, the studded orange. The yeah. pomander. Mm-hmm. We used to make those all the time for Christmas. Is it, it's like, what is it? The, there's a, a, I don't know if it's Anglican, but it's some English church where they have the Christ Kindle, I think, where the kids walk through the aisles with flaming, like an orange with various like raisins and things stuck into it and it's on fire. This yeah. is, this is the church that gave birth to my cookie church. <laughs> it's true. So fiery, fiery fruit that children carry down an aisle as they're trying to eat all of the deliciousness off of it. We lose I'm more okay with this. We lose more altar boys <laughs> that way. <laughs> but that must be where the orange, the studded orange comes from. So yes. I've had a lot of mold wine mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. day. My day is over, no more mold wine. Mold wine. Is wassail just a fancy name for mold wine? Or is it a completely different dish? It's a little different. It's, mold wine doesn't have the apple-y. Yeah, usually on. it tends to involve apples, but uh, there really isn't like, I think every every recipe involves apples in some form or another. Mm-hmm. It's like a sangria, like everybody has their own kind of sangria-ish thing. So mold wine has the cloves and the cinnamon and the black pepper and the orange peels, but no apples. Yes. Black pepper? Yeah. Sometimes. What? Like one, one. Like a peppercorn. Pepper. Yeah. yeah. I would it, like that. If you add apple juice and brandy to it, it would be wassail. Huh. Okay. Does this have to do with the trees? Like, you have a tree fruit? So you're feeding them their children that have been baked and mushed and mixed with raisins? As is any good ritual. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they call it a baby bap in Britain. A baby bap? <laughs> uh-huh, because it's like, you know, little little baby... Two pieces of bread, butter both Mm -hmm. sides, bacon, baby, baby bap. Mm -hmm. I believe all these things to be true. (laughs) That's a rock fact. I don't think Jacob's ever had a bap in his life. Oh, dear. Maybe we need a bap. I wonder, yeah, bap party. Bat mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) A bap foment. A bacon bat mitzvah. I brought some entertainment. Oh, Oh, good. Yeah. Guardian angels watching us as we endure a black and foul tusked rat muttering words of lust. (laughs) <laughs> isn't that the most recent disney cartoon i was gonna say oh gosh, I, I'm gonna, I was gonna do my joke my standard joke for this that sounds like prom night <laughs> <laughs> prom night by disney. never gets old <laughs> wow that one well, was new that one was new yeah it was it was odd um damon did you have something to bring to the party so well 
talk about this a bit in a bit, but because mm-hmm. we're celebrating the Ember Days. Mm-hmm. Could which, describe what are the Ember Days? The Ember Days are days of fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, during, and after the the religiostic like orgies. Okay. And so because we're fasting, I didn't bring nothing. It's what Perchta would have wanted. That's fair. And I have evidence to believe Perchta broke into the house last night and ate the dumplings. She wasn't <laughs> me. She does like dumplings. That's true. I don't know. Dumplings and gruel are her jam. With honey. Honey? Really? Um, yeah, there's uh, in that very huh. catalog-y article I sent you that describes a specific kind of porridge with with a with honey on top that she that you're supposed to eat and put out for her. Um, porridge and honey. I would eat porridge and honey. Mm. We're getting dangerously on topic. Do we have any hell news first? I just wanted to talk about something amazing <laughs> that I found. Yes. <laughs> it is not hell news per se, but it's very good advice. Okay. Um so the National Park Service wants humans to stop licking this toad. You can find this article on NPR. In the show notes. <laughs> yes. So there's a great uh like night vision photo of a toad staring down the camera. I think that's the it's a Sonoran desert toad. It looks super Kermit. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> or Michigan J Frog. <laughs> but uh Yes, there are no. (laughs) The caption in the article you sent me: "Black and white motion sensor camera capture of Sonoran desert toads staring into your soul." (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, people have been uh, the the frog is toxic. Um, However, people it also has a mild hallucinogen um, in its secretion. So people come in and grab the toads and lick them to get high. But uh, lots of people have talked about uh, experimenting with the toad's extracted toxins, including Mike Tyson and Hunter Biden, Interesting. which kind of smacks of uh, right wing conspiracy. But also people smoke the amphibian secretions. Not sure how they do that, but it's threatened in New Mexico because of that. Yeah. So when you encounter a friendly toad that's staring into your soul, don't, don't lick it. Don't lick it. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we have to tell people, mm-hmm. please don't lick the toad. You don't see signs for that in the National Park. You see, like, don't feed the animals, watch right, out for bears, right. etc. Don't draw over the petroglyphs, but nothing about licking no toads. You know, I feel like that would encourage people to do this, like, this kind of mentality, I want to put up a sign in the office break room. Please don't recycle your cans and bottles. Don't wash that cup. <laughs> don't you dare cook fish in the microwave. Well, that's, oh, that's a uh-huh. really good question. Does putting up signs saying don't lick toads increase or decrease the amount of toad licking? I have a story about, not about toad licking. About toad, no! If your story is not about toad licking, I don't want to hear it. But, I mean, have you ever heard the whole thing about, like, don't put beans up your nose like that's instantly will ki- when kids will continue like they'll start once you tell a kid don't put a bean up your nose that's when they start doing it awakens them to the world of bean stuffing of, or any like variety of things huh. up their noses and this happened to my sister where she was you know experimenting with 
pulling fur off of her stuffed animals and putting it in her nose. And my mom said, don't do that. Don't put fur up your nose. So what did my sister do? All of her up the nose. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Every mm-hmm. fur. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have a new niece and I've been trying very hard to put her toes up her nose. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're still flexible. It's like a manchichi. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So what if, play with. what if the toad, which is endangered, actually, what's the word I'm looking for? Liked it's it. endangered. Yeah. <laughs> what if it liked it? <laughs> It's an no. evolutionary. Like, what if the part of the of the breeding cycle of the toad frog was being licked? <laughs> right. And the National Park Service is like, man, guys, we're not getting enough toads licked. We got to get these these numbers up, these tadpole numbers. Because I don't want to do it anymore. Let's make the tourists lick the toads. <laughs> yeah. This time next year, toad like population skyrocketed. I think you're probably right. Good yeah. job, tourists. Uh-huh. I just can't wait to see the signs. <laughs> the little, you know, stick figure in peril sign of don't lick the toad. <laughs> like some guy's eye like spinning with a tongue on a toad. I think we're like opening up the idea of bufo tourism for the next 10 years. <laughs> what is that? What was that word you used? Bufo? Bufo is the scientific name for, uh, I think, tree frogs, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, bu- oh. bufotoxins are frog toxins. I did not know that. Thank you for teaching ah. me. Mm-hmm. I had no Thank you. you good this. night. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, that sounds like a good cue to get on our actual topic. <laughs> I suppose. So, what is our actual topic? Well, in celebration of Epiphany, we are talking about Perkta and Holda, or okay. really maybe just Perkta Holder, like one entity. I'm not sure. Are they separate? Are they the same? Are they different? I don't know. But these are sort of Yuletide Epiphany witches, goddesses, trolls. Hags. Hags. Demons. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Royalty, fairies. From the German and Scandinavian and... Eastern European? Yeah, Eastern European regions. That seems Mm -hmm. fair. We've mentioned them a few times as they feed very strongly into Krampus's stories. Mm-hmm. And I think we touched on them last week with um, with, with Drew. Drew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Bafana yeah. is related as well. But we thought they might deserve their own episode because they're interesting characters. Indeed. Where do we start with... Jacob Grimm. Jacob Grimm. But he... Okay, so... One of the things that I've learned from all of this, just everything that we do, is that he's the fly in the ointment of folklore studies. <laughs> he's the nationalist fly in the ointment <laughs> of folklore studies. So we, we doubt his scholarship in certain regards. Lots, Yes, lots of people do, but also lots of people base their work on his scholarship. I don't think there's necessarily a choice. It's not about being right. It's about publishing first. <laughs> This is how academia works. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that happened to Darwin, right? Like, he got scooped. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we should start with who are these Who are these people? Like, that'd be the simplest thing to do. Probably. Mm-hmm. So who are these people? Well, in our, in our, <laughs> in our Krampus story, we talked about uh, how these were 
this pair might have had their origins as some sort of seasonal cyclic life, death, rebirth goddess, as so many mm-hmm. things do in Germany. And over time, they came to be sort of the goddess of winter, or more often a monster, a bogey to scare children during the Yule. Or, as we all discovered, someone that specifically is there to terrorize lazy spinners of flax. Mm-hmm. So, like, the the evil crone that, that punishes flax slack. <laughs> flax slackers? Flax slackers, yes. <laughs> but also enforces holidays. If you dare to spin flax on the holiday when you shouldn't be spinning flax, you also get punished. Well, holidays in the sense of, like, sacred time. Um, mm-hmm. Like holy days. Yeah, she was very big into punishing people that were spinning flax during the 12 days of Christmas, and particularly, like, on Twelfth Night. Like, if you hadn't wrapped up all your flaxness by, um, I guess, evening on Christmas, which comes pretty early, or evening on Twelfth Night, which comes pretty early, uh, she would disembowel you and fill you with flax? I don't know what she would do. All kinds of things. Oh, she would destroy your distaffs, and cover your flax with perktipu. That was was an interesting thing that I only saw in one place. Did you see the perktipu thing elsewhere? I saw it in several sources, but they're modern sources. They might have been drawing off of a single kind of myth. Um, But very frequently she would, like, put refuse and garbage and floor sweepings in with the punishments. Usually, like, in the stomach of the person who mm-hmm. was the flax slacker in question. Or had made the unfortunate mistake of eating gruel on her holiday or not eating gruel on her holiday. I'm a little confused as to... It's a coin toss. Yeah, like, what does she punish? She's kind of all over the place. Um, she punishes the observing or not observing of something very significant around Epiphany. I wonder, is it useful to go to take a step back and think about what? Okay, so you've already you've mentioned time of year. Yes. When these things happen, you've mentioned the 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 activities and the the role of punishment. We'll probably talk about reward. Maybe. Who knows? And. I wonder, is it useful to take a step back and start with time of year and similarities between all these figures and where they vary and then kind of move through those categories or? Yeah, we could try that. Okay. Um, it seems like Hola, Holda is probably the, the first incarnation, the oldest one, mm-hmm. um, although that's really hard to prove in court, may have started as some sort of pre-Germanic you know, cyclic goddess mm-hmm. that that feels a little like the the myth of the mother goddess sort of idea that cropped up so heavily in like the late nineteenth century that makes me kind of question anything involving pre current culture single goddess with no other associations to them. I don't know how to say that without sounding tacky. There was a, there was a lot of like reconstruction of mythology around the turn of the twentieth century. Yes, yes. And the stuff that I saw, like, kind of started with aligning Hola and slash Holda, but initially at this time, Hola, with Diana. Right. 
as a figure of the hunt. This one is weird because we have this mother goddess, this earth goddess, and then also the leader of the wild hunt in some wild mm-hmm. hunts. Like, is this, an, is this an honorary position? Was it just like, we have a wild hunt, we need someone who already exists? Because your mother goddesses aren't always your your hunter goddesses. I, I don't know how she got in that role. Holda seems to have more animal imagery associated with her than your typical um, cyclic goddess. Like, she's fairly strongly associated with goats and mm-hmm. horses and dogs and wolves, kind of animals of the chase. In this current century, she's got an awful lot of animal imagery associated with her. And that's probably been added on as sort of a crampusification process. One idea is that her name comes from something like of nature, belonging to the forest, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And she may have some sort of fae nature goddess connection if you roll back far enough in her history. I don't know, because past about 200 AD, everything gets very blurry. I found some stuff about, and again, everything that I read was kind of like, maybe, but there's problems with this idea. Right. Yeah. A chapter in a book called A Razor for a Goat, Problem in the History of Witchcraft and Diabolism by Elliot Rose talks a little bit about this and kind of aligns the idea of Hola, or sorry, here they refer to Holda or Perkta as um, a Valkyrie, like since the Valkyries were originally associated with the wild hunt and also identified with Nerthus, the German Earth Mother which seems to be kind of a, a more hopeful idea, but also Herlican Herla or Hearn the Hunter, which we've talked about before. And that brings in the idea of being an, a deity associated with the dead. But there's also Herodias or her, uh, we talked about her, or we talked about her before recording. But we should talk uh, about her now because I think this is a weird one. It is. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think after we talk about the Huntress, there's because there's a direct connection to another idea. I, I got I got to fill in right now in case someone leaves abruptly to research yes. this. Herodotus was the mother of Salome, who was the exotic dancer that convinced Herod to kill John the uh, John the Baptist. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so she's got this strong association with exotic dancing as well, and has yep. has been syncretized with. Uh, Hola over time. And also, there's some supposition that she's the daughter of Diana. So there's this direct lineage from Diana to Herodias to Salome. Well, well, of course there is. There, of course there is. But there's also a lot of alliteration here. There's also Donna Abuntia, which shows up a lot as another one of these figures. And who's part of the Roman, Roman cult. Yeah, there's also a Lady of the Evening, which is another association with the Wild Hunt and potentially Salome and exotic dancing. Like, there's a lot of mythology that comes out of Roman Greek and gets spread out with Christianity, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you've got Roman paganism, Greek paganism, which becomes Christian paganism, which then gets spread out. But but Perkton and Holda are very much, we keep saying Germanic, it was a Germany- is so new, like that region. Yeah, there's no German. There's no Germany when these originally right. like started. In, uh-huh. in South Tyrolia, 
You know, these are very local goddesses. And so we syncretize them with others, but their origins aren't from Roman Greece, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things I kind of, I chuckled at, we were talking about this earlier, is Jacob Grimm in his, you know, stories was like, there's a lot of these white robe goddesses, blah, 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 the spinning. And she's very much a pre-Christian goddess who survived through. And then there's an argument, however, so-and-so-and-so-so thinks that she's actually the personification of the Feast of Epiphany, and is therefore not pre-Christian, right? And I'm like, wait a second, let's think about this. There's wild, horny goat masks, dressing up in furry costumes and doing battle with each other. Mm -hmm. Like, there's zero instances of Christian imagery invoking scary, horny goat masks, right? This was not Christian. This is obviously an older, goatier time. Separating Christianity out from Germanic myth is is super duper hard because, like, Snorri was probably Christian, and Christians were there Snorri since like Snorrelson. Yeah, Snorri Snorrelson. Mm-hmm. Sturluson. Our favorite. Sturluson. Um, oh. No, it's Sturluson. Well, yeah, Christ, Christ, Christian influence. Poetic. Poetic Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> poetic Eddie. Oh, we're going to start a character. That's going to be our mascot is Poetic, poetic Eddie. Eddie, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, well, Christian, Christian influenced because you could not escape it. They've been there since 200 AD and anything written is much later than that by 700 years. I always find it interesting, like with Jacob Grimm, and this happened in Ireland as well, this assertion in finding this pre-Christian past to establish this essential national identity. Right. Who we were before we got invaded. Yeah, it's fascinating. And to sort of prove like a purity of a certain national identity. Yeah. When, you know, a lot of nations are mutts, essentially. (laughs) You know? I think one place that you can say, hey, this is probably Christian influence is the amount of punishing involved. <laughs> yes, okay. and we'll come to some Fair. stories like that. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because I think the Christian influence has this weird, like, social conformity, puni- punish anything that goes against God time, whatever. It's, it's, God time. it's very, very <laughs> down on whatever the hell. Well, there's some, uh, another article I read uh, dealt with the potential conflation of Polda slash Perkta as the Virgin Mary. Yeah, I saw that. Like Holda's um appearance in her like lovely white robe with crown. Mm-hmm. Although like I'm, somehow. Any any like non crone goddess seems to get folded in with Mary. Probably not Diana. Diana was kinda butch. But um You saying Mary didn't work out? No, I don't <laughs> think she did. She swooned. Did you even lift Mary? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah so that actually was an uh, assertion of Grimm that uh, Holda had been debased and replaced in Tales by the Virgin Mary but there's also some argument that she was the Virgin Mary especially because let's see there's a reference to Holda in a catalog of superstitions compiled, compiled by Rudolph as assertion between the years 1236 and 1250 and often um, there's epithet, epithets that are used 
with Mary that are used in reference to Frau Holda in the works of Martin Luther. Like Our Venerated Lady um, and others out by Alberus. And there's a Aesopian fable about a mountain and a mouse, which involves a a mob coming out to kill a monster. And so that, again, conflates Holda with the Virgin. Hmm. Um, but, But Martin Luther is also responsible for the negative ideas of holder or he's he's associated with the promotion of those negative ideas specifically can i i want to say it <laughs> yes here cometh up dame hulda with the snout to wit nature and goeth the, about to gainstay her god and give him the lie hangeth her old rag fair about her her straw harness then falls to work and scrapes it fieldly on her fiddle <laughs> now can you let's see in my mind I always think that Martin Luther sounds like a uh, Winchester from MASH. <laughs> like not. a very strong, posh Boston accent. Here cometh up Dame Hilda with the snout <laughs> to wit nature and goeth about to gainstay her God and give him the lie. Hangeth her old rag fair about her, <laughs> the straw harness, then falls to work and scrapes it fealty on her fiddle. Oh, that was well worth it. <laughs> I'm, I'm. <laughs> now do it as Foghorn Lake. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I say. <laughs> so on the Epiphany Goddess thing, Al Ridnar did the remarkable book on Krampus and also is the host of the podcast Bone and Sickle. It has a lot to say about Perch and Holda as kind of precursor myths to Krampus. He suggests that one source for her name might be Gibratanat, the night of shining forth or manifesting, which is Epiphany. But a lot of Yule stuff involves the long night and light in the darkness. I know that's so much a specific reference to Epiphany as a universality of, of the festival of light in the darkest night. But it probably is Epiphany in this context. Well, that goes back to the Alberus, or Alberus, I'm not sure, mention, because he also talks about Christ's nativity, setting the table for the person called Frau Holda, but also the quote, and in that quote, which is in Latin, there's a reference to the, the like the Frau Holda references to Regine Selly or Kelly Selly, I'm guessing, uh, which is actually a reference to Mary. So that 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 direct connection to the Epiphany and celebration of light and the feast. And kind of the the feast provided for Holda slash Perkta to ensure good fortune. I, I just feel yeah. like lines like that make every pagan cry out, keep your filthy virgin away from my well-beloved de-virginated forest goddess. <laughs> you got your virgin in my paganism. <laughs> yeah. Well, Perch to Holda does tend to be fairly celibate. Like, there's a lot of goings-on with goddesses, but not Perkta Holda. She doesn't have any consorts. There's not a lot of um, hanky-panky in the in the frozen night of Epiphany. Well, because it's cold. I, I will say there are some queer readings of at least Hola's story. Huh. With the good, the, the, the trope that uh, is a common folklore trope that even has a number associated with it. Of the good daughter, bad daughter. Oh, the, yeah. Sometimes right. the gold Mary and the tar Mary. Because there's uh, there's some scholars that say that the good daughter's, you know, descent, which we should talk about in the underworld, 
descent down the well and the life she led with Frau Holda was kind of this life of possibility of this queer possibility um, because there's, you know, this companionable relationship that goes on for we don't know how long. Until she stopped spinning on Twelfth Night. (laughs) But she gets to, I mean, it's like they, you know, there's specific, like there's a very domestic happy scene that they have. And there's a whole thing about her sexuality, the pricking of the finger, the blood. Hmm. Yeah. So there's there's definitely queer readings of this story as well, or of this character, because because of the fact that she's not associated in any way with any kind of male consorts. Right. I mean, she's got the, the perchlings, but those are later on. That's a much later uh-huh. edition. And there's no, like, she's not shunned from society. She is choosing to live alone, and um, she's often associated with young women as as either kind of the benefactress or the um, punisher of these young women. As long as we're on alternate sexualities, I have to mention a misreading I had on my way to the office here. Uh-huh. I was looking at legends connecting Frigg to Hulda, oh. which I don't, I don't uh-huh. see the connection except they're both goddesses. But there's a picture of Frigg holding her dead son Balder who's the god, the like the handsome god. Uh-huh. And my vision is clearly going or something. I misread the text. The text is Frigg grips her dead son Balder, but I read Frigg gropes her dead son Balder. And I, <laughs> oh, no. I had to do a double take. Oh, That's definitely oh, no. a Southern Pantheon thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, dear. That's the slash fiction version of the, of the tale. <laughs> Un- unclean. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the Frigga thing. I don't I Cuz that also would associate like be this kind of, you know, backwards revisionist association. Yeah, Rittenauer kind of goes on to say he's not really comfortable with calling uh Holda and Perkta goddesses really because there's so much baggage associated with that word and they seem to be something else, something kind of more fey at times. Mhm. But also they're very much involved with the workings of people. Like they do have strong opinions about the workings of people. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of get their <laughs> get their hands dirty, as it were. J- Jamin, um, Jamin, do you want to talk a little bit about spinning and, yes, and why it's important? Yes, tell us about spinning. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you asked. So I have learned a lot. And a lot of these, a lot of these fairy tales, which involve spindles, right? So-and-so puts their, their finger on a spindle. So-and-so spins flax to gold. Spinning is a big part of your life. Let's contextualize this just a tiny bit, which is spinning is an important part of your life when you're in a medieval iced over area, because it's such a deviation from the way we live today. I hardly ever spin flax. Right. (laughs) I'm I'm down to less than an hour a week. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got the app for it now, and that does help. That's true, yeah. So -hmm. basically, if you live in the Middle Ages and you want to wear clothes, this needs to be made from cloth. And the only way to make cloth is from thread, and thread comes from flax. Spinning thread into flax is a labor-intensive, time-consuming process. So basically, if you're not eating, sleeping, or pooping, you're spinning flax. Or having sex. Procreating. Right. I I wonder how you actually find time to make Holda's dumplings for Holda night. Because honestly, there's so much spinning involved that I'd never get around to it. And so we have this idea of spinning, like the spinning wheel, where 
you know, you, you spin the thing and the big wheel goes and you're, you're working the wheel. That's a relatively new thing. Before that, we had a distaff, which is just basically a stick to hold your flax. And I think the word dis means flax, like it's your flax staff, which you spin onto your spindle. And the spindle is the thing that holds the thread. And taff means our 25th president. <laughs> For those of you following along at home, I guarantee he just looked it up and didn't know it off the top of his head. <laughs> I just made it up. I have no idea what number he is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a distaff. 27th. Is I was so close. <laughs> Let me bump my knee on my desk noisily. Ow. <laughs> So a distaff, we may have a picture up, but you can look at it. A distaff is a big sticky thing which holds your flax. And flax is an unruly thing. If you don't kind of keep it neat and bundled and in order, you can't spin it into thread and you can't make clothes. So under one arm, you have your distaff. And on the other hand, you're twisting and twisting. And you twist little fibers together into thread and then you wrap it around the spindle. So that's what a distaff is. And so there's this imagery of... If you're a woman, if you're a crone, if you're a hag, you've probably got a distaff under your arm and a spindle in your pocket. And you do your thing, you turn the beans, and you spin some more thread. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the Perchalauf for a second? Sure. Sure. Oh, I love the Perchalauf. <laughs> this is uh -huh. also the secret origin this is also the secret origins of Quidditch. <laughs> no, it's true. So before we had the Krampuslauf, which means like the Krampus run, mm -hmm. where you have men do battle. The perch to love is you have the pretty perchtas in that South Tyrolia. They're like the the Shana per perchta and the I can't it's, I want to say schlafa, but it's not. It's schlafa perchta, right? The pretty the, girls and yeah. the ugly girls. The shaka, the yeah. shaka, schlafa. <laughs> I think it's that kind of like Italian Spanish thing where the L becomes an I, right? So like yeah, plaza and piazza. Mm-hmm. But this is schlaf is sleep. <laughs> so the sleepy person. What no, what's ugly? It's it's shaka or yeah. Um but I'm not sure I can't remember what it is in German. I think it's Shrek. Maybe Shreklik is ugly. Shreklik is ugly. And so Shrek. You get all the village women and half of them and I think they all have horns, but half of them are the white ones and half of them are the the, the dark goaty ones, and they do alleged battle. Like, it's this great mythical battle. And, like, because their masks are so good that they can go bare-breasted or just, like, have one flopping around, and no one can tell because it's like, oh, I don't know who that is. Unless you had a birthmark. I don't know. So, side one is people wearing very crampusy, animalistic things and probably, like, dirt and twig costumes. Side Or, like... The people in my picture. Oh, the kind of weird like faceless bags. things. Their yeah. heads covered by a Herchtenhaube. Their belts hung with bells. Their face hid faces hidden behind bas masks of terrifying aspect. Side two is the pretty, pretty Perkta wearing like flowing. Mm -hmm. It starts out white dresses with crowns on and some sort of cost, some sort of mask as well. And they're both semi topless. And they charge at each other for distaff jousting. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. This is and magical. So and why isn't it, why isn't it on YouTube right now? <laughs> yeah. Or why isn't it on like the sports network? 
Right. So kind of like Morris dancing, kind of like all these other ancient battle rituals or ritual battles, you get these crones of the night running around, riding distaffs and doing battle. So we have this imagery of witches riding around on brooms because, you know, that's what they do. Look at this imagery of brooms. If you look at a distaff, it's a stick with a wide fluffy bit at the end. Right? From afar, they've got a very similar shape. And so of the time in the Middle Ages, what were you doing most of the time? You were spinning. You weren't sweeping. You lived in a hut with a dirt floor. You didn't need a broom that often, right? I'm not saying never, but you wouldn't walk around with a broom in your hand. So it's like, did we just somehow not remember what this thing was that we saw? And we're like, oh, she's riding around on a broom. When in fact, all witches are riding around on their distaffs, their distaves. It seems, it seems that uh, like originally there were more witches on distaves for sure. Yeah, but, like witches on distaves. But here's the thing. Sometimes witches would come out of chimneys and then it makes sense for them to hold a broom. But that was like flammable. Well, so are distaves. Well, that was like later, though. I think, I think, I think the distave, distave as origin for witchy, flighty, sticky thing, yeah. um, is, is that seems like fairly legit. Like brooms are later; they're like 16th century. So, if Harry Potter had been just a little bit more accurate, <laughs> a little more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty accurate. Let's be fair; Harry Potter was almost perfect on the nose. Uh, they also rode uh, stools, cupboards, wardrobes, and cooking forks, um, so, and sometimes cows. Uh, so they, they ride things that are domestic and, like, mm-hmm. subvert them into, like, witch things. They also have to ride things that are phallic, so there's that. Right, right. And I'm not saying... And sometimes, they just, sometimes they just fly on phalluses. I hope they put them back when they're done. <laughs> Another thing Harry Potter got right. you'll have to you know link to that article about the the toy the toy broom oh no i guess i will (laughs) maybe not that's for dispatchist after dark (laughs) distaffist after dark (laughs) Ah. so a whole lot of hola's myth and purchase to it a little lesser degree, involves punishing people that haven't done their spinning, have done their spinning, but are doing it too late in the night, are right. lazy about spinning. Uh, again, those, those flax slackers. This is like a, flax a huge, huge portion of her myth. Like, again, if you didn't, if you were spinning on Twelfth Night and she caught you, then she'd cut you open and fill you with, with like, stuff from the floor. Unless you had eaten her dumplings, in which case, you know, you've, you've Bought the merch, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole thing about the belly slitting, there's a lot of supposition about why the belly slitting. What? Because it seems kind of out of scale with the crime. Yeah, that's right. kind of... <laughs> and you can't go back from a belly slitting, um, but the whole filling with trash... And um, just detritus makes some sense if you're a lazy housekeeper, because that is another punishable crime. Um, But also, you would get your belly slit if you didn't feast. And so there's this idea that maybe because she is kind of this 
figure of the feast and of adherence to the feast because a feast ensures prosperity throughout the year, that that was a way of kind of like, okay, you didn't do it right, so I'm going to stuff you. <laughs> this is kind of like in the same vein as like the Yule Cat, right? Mm-hmm, right. You didn't get new clothes for Christmas? Murder death. Right, because like mean, what if you're just poor and yeah. you can't? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a very weird, weird punishment. But um, but there's also, you know, tales of, yeah, the, the coming in and spinning because the spinning's not done and terrifying families by coming in and finishing the spinning. So there's kind of a, yeah, there's sort of a, a brownie aspect to it, as well as the Rumpelstiltskin aspect to it. But you're also not allowed to look at her. No. No. You get punished by looking at. Oh, for heaven's sakes! This is very because <laughs> there's a, very fussy, and this goes into the Perkta and children category. But uh, when she and her kids show up on Twelfth Night, and you're supposed to have the food out for them while they're kind of enjoying the feast, or she's finishing the spinning, or whatever. If you peep, you will go blind. What? So there's stories of the kids themselves, like finding somebody who's looking at her, and they um, blind the person. So the whole idea, this is this may be apocryphal, but supposedly the whole peeping Tom idea comes from this legend, potentially. No, that was Lady Godiva. See, and this is the connection when we were talking about the bare-breastedness and wearing the mask, there's some protection, like the mask kind of like, you know, makes you anonymous, right. but that was also the story of Lady Godiva, right? Like she was covered by her hair, you know, either through... Her relationship with the townspeople, nobody saw her, or just magical intervention, nobody saw her, except for that one guy. Well, you, peeping Tom. you'd also have your, you also die if you looked upon the full glory of God. Um, mm-hmm. And so Moses was Who just- also had his breasts out. Right, right. Well, I was going to actually get to that. So oh, I'm going to ruin it? No, no, no. Moses, Moses was able to look upon God's feet. And and therefore look upon God. But the thing is that in the Bible, feet is usually euphemistic for for like junk. So I don't know what that story actually what? means. Oh, and that goes back to the Arthurian, like the the the, the thigh wound. Right, right, thigh wound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or uh, Gilgamesh when he threw the right leg of a bull. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't uh-huh. think of that. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. You think about, I mean, I feel like that's constantly on like a little ticker tape through your head is Gilgamesh. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, so I was reading an article by Mincy Mergem called Mythical Beings Punishing the Breaking of Taboos on Spinning. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So she has introduced a good concept word for me, the Spinstubenfrau, which is the spinning room lady, which okay. covers an awful mm-hmm. lot of different hags and goddesses. There's the Queen of the White Wives who wanders around mountain ridges with a golden pail or doormat and would kill women who weren't spinning on Friday before Christmas. And a golden hag that chases around the, what, the wild hunt looking for people that haven't done their spinning. And Bertha, in German, another name for Perchta, probably. And Queen Bertha, too. Yeah. The, this version of probably Perchta would uh, take away women's distaffs if they haven't done their spinning, cut up their be- bellies, and fill them with curlers. I don't know what that means. So not like hair curlers. I don't. I seriously don't know. Interesting. And apparently, There's a lot of belly slitting. Yeah. And uh huh, filling with things. Uh, maybe that's why you're supposed to eat dumplings. Because what is a dumpling but a filled belly? 
uh, <laughs> one of the most one of the most extreme. Well, not spin stupens for us specifically, but uh, in Switzerland, Odin would appear and his horse would trample your distaff if you hadn't spun your flags. That's yeah. that's like really like high uh, on the on the header list. Wow! <laughs> like, doesn't he have better things to You'd do? Think you know in my extensive research on distaves and distavery and disdain, which sorry, <laughs> go on. <laughs> That was a new noise. <laughs> no, I read a, a note to myself that I thought was funny. Be in the present, Jacob. <laughs> this was the present. Sometimes St. Lucia would appear wearing an animal mask and she would punish children with red hot bobbins. <laughs> See, that goes back to the spinning. Right. Because you wind the thread. Oh, the are bobbins curlers? Because you curl the thread around the bobbin? All right, we'll have to find this. Uh, I bet the OED has a good explanation for the bobbin. I mean, for the curler. While you're looking, in my extensive research on distaves, it's mm-hmm. just a stick with a bit, right? So like, oh no, Odin's horse came and trampled my stick. It'll take me 12 minutes to make a new one. Like, Well, it takes you 12 minutes to make the like stick, a- but you've already done the job of winding the flax, which is probably its own element of tedium. And now your mm-hmm. flax is dirty. Oh, mm-hmm. can't have dirty flax. Right, can't. Still, it doesn't seem like, in comparison, would you rather have your belly slit, or would you rather have your horse stompled? Mm. Oh, but this brings up another punishment. Yes. So there's the story of the 12, well, the story of Perkta showing up in a, clearly at night when you should not be spinning, and there are 12 women in a room spinning, and she shows up, and she has 12 versions of herself (laughs) and she asks the women who are spinning to go get buckets of water like she comes in angry and she's like i've got i've got 12 of my girls here y'all go get some buckets of water and so the women conspire they think okay she's gonna boil us because we're not only spinning did not only involve the spinning aspect but also you had to boil Mm -hmm. your flax so if you're spinning, you're probably also boiling flax. So she thought, so the women thought they're going to boil us alive. Which did happen. Like that, that yes. was a thing. So they tricked Herkta and, and her squad by bringing baskets back so that they couldn't be filled with water. So they brought baskets back and then fled the scene and went home to their husbands. Oh, well, it's nice they escaped. That doesn't usually happen. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So there's some boiling. There's some boiling going on as well. Why can't you spin at night? I think because that's the time of the demons. Like, that's where it's, you know, you shouldn't be out and about and uh, engaged in some activity that might bring, you know, bad, badness I think it's, to you. I think it's just cultural control. Like, they're just, you better do your work and get it done before six. Because then you have to make dumplings. That's right. You gotta get gotta get home and make those dumplings. By golly! On the subject of curlers, mm-hmm. the phrase "to ride with hole" means to have your hair in complete disarray. Oh, so the curler is right because the hair also, like the the nose and the hair, is sort of an aspect of like witchiness. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't know if that an animal. I still don't know what a curler is. My beard has been riding with hole for the past. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, an animal imagery 
she's often described as having an iron nose, which is kind of beaky. Um, uh-huh. I think Hole is also specifically described as having protruding teeth. And um, both Perchita and St. Lucia uh, were described as being the celestial goat. Oh, right. Which is an, an interesting yes. idea. I don't know what that means. Ooh. Oh, I have an idea about why you're not supposed to spin at night. Why? I think because you're also wasting candles. Right. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're wasting, yeah, like, you have to burn candles to be able to spin. See, I- or, you know, have fuel, like, you have to maybe have a fire and stuff like that if you're boiling. So you're wasting resources. Having never spun in my life, mm-hmm. I do you need to see it? To do it? Oh, yeah. I would guess. I mean, because you have to, like, you're having to, maybe if you're really good at it, like, knitting, you don't have to yeah. look at it. I was exactly thinking knitting. Like, like my grandmother could crochet an entire blanket without looking at it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I would, I don't know, maybe to make sure it doesn't get all uh, crazy on the wheel. Or, crazy on or, the wheel. I guess if, or... As you're on your spindle, mm. right? Because spinning wheels came later. Mm. This is like, this is straight up just two-handed spinning, right? Yeah. But my guess is also wasting resources. So another question. We talk a lot about punishments. What did Perkta do? Perkta slash Holda slash Hola. Was there benevolence? I mean, she. It seems like she does things like leaving a coin or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or some other tiny kind of useless present, like a little uh, uh, origami crane. Yeah, that seems a little bit specific. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> kind a, of sorry, like it's a Blade Runner reference. Little little. Home. No, I was just going to make the Blade Runner reference. <laughs> sure, okay. Um, but little little um little gifties and things like that. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever like saved a princess from marrying a pagan king or anything like that do, do you have do you have thoughts on this well mostly just rewarding kindnesses because there is the story of the gold mary and the tar mary and then there's stories of her encountering um there's one about a farmer who fixes the axle on her uh plow or um cart and is and, and <laughs> she tells him, go ahead and keep the shavings. That's your reward. And he's like, whatever, lady, and throws them in his pocket just to be nice. And turns out it's gold. They turn into gold. I think And yeah, there's there's also one story, and it's probably like folklore number 240, um, mm-hmm. where um, the, nice, the nice lady um, does her a kindness, and she repays her with like a diamond falling from her mouth when she speaks. Yeah. Which is generous mm-hmm. and encourages silence. <laughs> and then the other sister comes up and does a similar thing, kind of expecting a reward, and gets the frog from your mouth when you talk thing happening. Yeah. Which is great if you want to work in a national park. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Full, it yeah. comes full circle. Just make sure you swish that frog in your mouth first to get all the toxins off. But this 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 might move us into another category if I tell if I mention this story. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you ready for another category? Go for it. Okay. So there's also a story about her and a cottager and the cottager is out and about. I can't recall what he's doing, but he's out and about on an errand 
and it involves a child, like his own child. But he runs into Hercta with her retinue of unbaptized babies, and yeah. he gives one of them a name, even though it's an insulting name, like, you know, rag-wearing waif. It's, uh... She gives him a reward, like wealth, because he named the child. And so this goes into two things Ra- that I have to talk ragamuffin. about. Ragamuffin. I think uh-huh. ragamuffin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how about we talk about babies? Again? Well, no, symbolically, that's when you name a baby, that's a christening, and that's part of the baptism process. So that would that yes. would possibly take the baby out of her retinue. Yes. Uh-huh. And Interesting. Have you, have you heard about the Jewish naming ceremony that refers to Hala? No. So there is a naming ceremony that refers to Hala. Um, I, 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 I thought that might be the case. <laughs> because I've said it like seven mm. times. So it's a holocrash um, or crash, holocrash. Mm-hmm. So what happens dur- during this initially? So initially, the naming of the naming ceremonies tended to be for boys because the whole point, like naming a child, not only, you know, you protect the child by giving it a name. Because you have to name it like this is infanthood is a very delicate period where that baby can, you know, if it goes, uh, we know what happens to unbaptized babies or unnamed oh, babies. God, so, so many things. Yes. So many bad things happen. So uh, initially the ceremony was focused on boys and that was um, mostly uh, because it's assumed the baby would be a scholar of the Torah. And so you would get... Not like you would have your religious name. I would never assume that. (laughs) Well, it was assumed back back in the day um, that this was going to happen. So you'd have a religious name, but this would also give you your secular name. So it was not quite a religious affiliated ceremony, at least with boys, it was a little bit more. Um, But over time, it became associated with both boys and girls. And as such, that's when Hala kind of like became a, a serious part of it because you would like raise the cradle. I think the way that it works is you would raise the cradle like three times and then you would ask what the baby should be named and you would cry out to Hala. And so there's um, the whole like raising the baby thing has to do with separation, either closeness to the earth. And so the invoking the, the earth goddess and also separation from the earth. So you enter the world of, of humans and kind of the, you know, you uh, separate from that kind of the, the underworld or the world of, un- of unborn babies, the kind of neutral place where unborn babies are. So it's kind of a, it's kind of another world, but not a dark underworld, but it's unclear why Hola maybe because of her association with earth as kind of an earth mother, or it could be as the person who will take care of your unbaptized baby. You're sort of saying like, okay, she's ours now. Right. And to kind of ward her off. Right. Because you don't want Hala to have your mm-hmm. girls because right. otherwise yeah. they grow up to become Hala back girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so well, it's we, very should interesting. Should we pause here and I, applaud him? 
Yeah, I want you to stop and see how smug I look. Come on, oh, please. Oh, the hollaback. Oh, sorry. I was busy thinking about my notes. Oh, I am. I am. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. I think that there might be some cultural bleed over with like Lilith here because. <gasps> definitely there is. That's definitely yeah. where like there's this idea of Hala as a demon that has to be kind of like. Right. You know, she's ours now. Well, Lay well, off. Also, Lilith owned babies until like day sixteen mm. uh, mm-hmm. for girls, or for girls, and day ten for boys. Something along those general lines. I, I wonder if there's just an echo from that that myth. Yeah, and there's another Jewish demon that is associated with this as well. Um, Nima. Oh, not Nama. Yeah, it's one of Lilith's sisters. Nama. Mm-hmm. And also, this became a. The practice, as it became, it became more and more secular, as you may imagine, especially because women started to be involved. And it was, it wasn't, didn't take place in the synagogue. It took place in the home. So there was this domesticity associated with it. And so there was also um, this association with not necessarily witchcraft in a bad way, but the sort of mysticism that's already a part of some parts of Jewish religion, different you know, aspects of it, different sects of it. So it really did become this kind of celebration for women, too, because there were cults of Perkta where women would use their hair in ceremonies and things like that and would call to her for to 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 have babies, to for for them to be able to pluck one out of her pond of babies. Mm. So this was this also became sort of associated with this kind of craft of women but there's also a sense of it potentially there's no like there's there's not a direct line between the jewish ceremony and german ceremony but there is a really good german folk song that alludes to it may i tell you this german folk song i won't read it in the hide in the in the different uh, dialects of German. Don't, don't make me read it in English. like that mash voice i don't want to do that, <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> hop hop Hasselman, which could be a man of the uh, hazel tree or a man from Hesse or possibly rabbit man. So I would assume rabbit man because he's hopping. Okay. Hop hop Hasselman, our cat has boots on, runs within the hollow's well, finds a child in the sun. What shall it be called? Kid or little goat? Who shall lift it? The drinker with his wine. Who shall wash the diapers? The woman with the dim, which means empty pocket. So there was also um, sounds very classist. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It definitely does, but like all of this, you know, the kind of cleansing and lifting from the yeah. earth, and importance of naming the child, the community naming the child, as this kind of uh, way of staving off Perkta getting her grubby little hands on him for her little retinue of kids who like to blind people. Yeah, as a as a child taker, and as the one of the like queen of witches, which is that's one of her that's mm-hmm. one of her connections to um, Herodias is, is this queen of witch idea, and Lilith is a queen of witches too. It feels like there's a lot of like connections here that if you had like a Jewish faith background might kind of spring up into the stories. Mm-hmm. This is I'm putting a pin in this for another episode, but in reading about this, I also learned about a Jewish tradition called Nitelnacht. So I will save Nittelnacht for another for another episode. Tune in next time. Mm-hmm.
That'll be, I think when we talk about Judaism. It's very seasonal because that's Christmas Eve. Yep. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I need to do, I need to do more research on it because I have concerns (laughs) about its veracity. So I kind of want to ask my friend who's a rabbi about it first. Legit. Mm -hmm. I would like to talk about the one sexy aspect of Perkta slash Holda slash Hala, because we already made the point that she's not really associated with a male consort and she's potentially a queer figure. But she is an an erotic dancer, so we've kind of touched on that. She is, I love sexy Perkta. But she is also associated with a very particular German cultural touchstone in this way. And it's a specious, it's a specious connection, but it's still there. That's, that's our bread and butter. Go for it. It's true. That's a rock fact. So she is supposedly associated with Venus. I saw that. I didn't see the connection. It was kind of lost on me. It's, it's not a really strong connection. But she's allegedly associated with Venus in my notes somewhere. I guess if you're like where did it if go? you're like the shining one is one of your epithets, then you're associated with both Venus and Lucifer. Mm-hmm. I mean who doesn't shine? It's true. Me. Mostly me. <laughs> I powder my nose. So this actually we have Wagner to blame for this in certain oh. ways. But it predates Wagner because there is some record of this story of a figure going to a magical wor- magical place, essentially the underworld, but it's inside of a mountain and he's trapped by Venus and he becomes kind of her love slave. And in some earlier tellings of this story, there's a conflation like it's, it's, conf- you can, it can get confused about Hulla becomes Herodias becomes venus with the romans they attach her because there's this goddess of love figure that is also associated with the underworld so wagner comes in because uh tannhäuser the epic opera i think it's an opera tells this story and throughout venus is it's it's venus venus is a character but some of the annotations also refer to hala okay I'm not sure Wagner is like the folklorist's folklorist, but... No, but he is also part of that nationalist strain. Yeah, that's very true. Hmm. Uh-huh. So trying to kind of like create this mythologized past to establish legitimacy to a national identity that is essentially created as well. So there's a... I mean, so if you're thinking about it in that, like in a meta way like that, it makes some sense that there would be this conflation, but also... There's Venusberg, which is the Venus mountain, is also associated with Horselberg, which is the, it's not only a place where a lot of weird shit goes down, like rabbits turning into horse heads and, and the like, but that's where Frau Holda kept court. Interesting. So, okay, so there may be a connection mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So, so the, geographically, they're also related. Oh, damn it, Wagner. Damn it. Uh-huh. But yeah, as we mentioned, Salome... The Herodias or Herodia and Salome connection with the sort of femme fatale, exotic dancer, you know, seductress. We didn't really touch on Holda's big foot and what that meant, like how it was an aspect of her divinity and also a, this is what happens to women who run the treadle. 
but really, I don't know. oh, that's, that's a, interesting. Yeah, I did. Let's okay. Okay, so okay, so we haven't really talked about hold his big foot yet. No, and I kind of wanted to to bring this back in because there were a couple of things. One, Holda had a big foot. Yeah, we do need to talk about the hollow foot in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Zing! If you write about a hollow foot, you We're need on to- fire. So, Holla had one big foot. And sometimes it was a big foot, sometimes it was a wide foot, sometimes it was a swan foot or a duck foot. Mm-hmm. And there were two parts of this. One is the swan foot is just a tie back to her divinity because it meant she could change into swans or change into things. Like, she was a divine being and she couldn't become entirely human. Okay. Right? And so, what we would think, oh, having a big foot's kind of weird. No, it means, oh, this is, it's your divinity. But then, the other part of it was the flat foot thing happened to people that were just on the treadle all day. The treadle is the flappy bit which runs your spinning wheel which again ties her into the whole spinstress motif right Hmm. she spins she takes care of those who spin she flips the bellies of those who spin and she's recognizable because she has the same thing a big flat foot which uh there's a word for it it's like we'll call it spinner's foot (laughs) (laughs) i I like that yeah they took they took both sides treadle foot that's really uh, that's really interesting I had no idea. You learn something new every day. I learned about just Dave's uh-huh. and nothing so. else. Not a thing. <laughs> but I feel like that was valuable because I had a question mark like, what is the, what is, and what was the thing about it's associated like with the term like women is, uh, women are distaffs and men are spears? Oh, that one, I kind of don't like that one. I feel like this one had legitimate use. 300 years ago and we've ruined it with modern sports okay but like we talk about like distaff as in like the matrilineal side right yeah 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 that's what it was spears are just phalluses right yep Mm -hmm. and so like you know in heraldry the the distaff side this is my matrilineal lineage and then we just we use it completely wrong today it's like oh distaff the girls it's so funny because I've never heard that usage before until you mentioned it. So the usage I have actually heard, and I don't think it's used anymore, but like in sports commentary, because you know I watch a lot of sports TV. Yep, sports like ball is your favorite. Yeah, I love sports ball. Mm-hmm. Like in the Olympics, you're like, all right, here's here's men swimming. We've got Swimmy McSwimmerson and Swimmy McSnurlison and, and Snore McSwimmerson, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the end of men's Olympic sports. Now, over to the distaff side, Victoria, how sings in the women's spin, you know? <laughs> the distaff side of sports. That's so weird. That's so weird. Well, here's a question. And this, this, this is just speculation, but so spinning also is kind of a metaphor or uh, it's analogous to like life or to, to, to fate, oh, to the threads, yeah, of exist of of connect, like existence, and so I also saw like okay, there's because like Queen Bertha shown with Bertha a spindle had a big Bertha was taller than her husband mm-hmm. because she had big feet. 
Because she was, yeah, but she's associated with that and kind of this. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons Distaff lasted so long was because it wasn't overtly sexist, right? It wasn't overtly offensive. It's like, I don't know what this word means. I'm just watching the Olympics. Mm, Okay. Interesting. But no, you're right. The circle of life, like the, the, the three, uh, the, the maiden, the mother and the, and the crone. And Piers Anthony in his, series about like geology incarnations incarnations yeah he had the three was lachesis tropos and the other one clothos clothos and atropos yeah lachesis clothos and atropos where she who spins the thread she who weaves the thread and she who stuffs it up her nose (laughs) (laughs) don't put the thread don't put the thread up your nose as like the the symbol of life is like you have the spinning, the weaving, and the final cessation. Like you snip the thread. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's very much that life cycle aspect of spinning and crone. Yeah, and then you get like, of course, you know, later during the French Revolution, the whole idea of the knitting, Madame Defarge knitting and kind of like sealing the fate of, mm-hmm. but that's kind of potentially based on this sort of greater story. Yeah, there's just some place for it because I was like, why spinning? But it's also, yeah. you know, primarily women's work, et cetera, et cetera. But it also seems to have this fate and life cycle connection. It's, it's totally women's work because two dudes can't make a baby on their own, but two women can. That's science. Dink, dink. Well, I mean, you know, Holda <laughs> Perkta, Hola also is kind of a stepmother figure. She doesn't have any children of her own, but she steps in for the motherless. Hmm. That's, that's I little, like how you saved my terrible joke. It's a little, a little <laughs> love of fun there, too. Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. Hmm. Uh-huh. I think at, at the end of this, we're left with this really kind of almost dualistic character. She's got hearth and home aspects and wild nature aspects as well, kind of transforming over time. You sparked a thought in me. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, can you smell the smoke? I see oh it. Oh, my God. I see it coming out of your ears now. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we talk about. The past 56 episodes have been dualistic characters, right? Yeah. And I kind of personally get the feeling that Perk to Holga, blah, blah, blah. Holga is a uh, film camera. Perk to <laughs> Holga. <laughs> the hipsters, hipsters are really into those. I uh-huh. own one. Oh, dear. Oh, of course you do. No, they're the- cool. I will say they're cool. I want one. The Perkta-Hola dichotomy isn't really black and white flip a coin. I feel like it's 75% nature goddess, 25% retribution, right? It's, it's not black and white. It's sure there's a, a duality, but it's more of one and less of the other. It does seem like the, the, the fear elements kind of overwhelm the nice ones. But I mean, one, one place where there is duality is, you know, punishment reward sort of cycle. Like, she's mm. St. Nicholas and Krampus all at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she does give gifts, even if they're, you know, they can be small. They can be coins, maybe diamonds, or she can sew them up inside of your belly. Yeah, that's very giving and generous of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's like an investment. Stockings, I mean, that wasn't a thing yet, right? So what yeah. else is she going to do? That's true. Find some other convenient receptacle. 
<laughs> Come here. <laughs> Come here, Franz. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like on that note, I'd like to wrap up for the evening. Okay. On our spindle? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, you've got me all wound up about that. Oh. But, um, I kind of lost the thread here. <laughs> so, <laughs> wishing you all a happy epiphany tomorrow. If you'd like to catch up with us and listen more to our podcast, please check us out on dispatch.ist. And there's a link called Find Us On, where you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and a number of other options. So do find us there, and we look forward to hearing from you. And until then, we will see you in hell. Bye! Bye! I don't know why I'm waving. I don't know either. <laughs> it's, it's fun. <sighs> okay. I'm still okay. waving. This podcast is copyright 2023 by The Dispatchist, and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. <laughs>